There are so many supplements out there. How do you choose? If there was just one supplement that Trey and I would recommend, it's definitely Ningxia Red. We have consistently drank Ningxia every day since May of 2015. It's a whole body health and wellness supplement that's a powerhouse full of antioxidants and nutrition. Ningxia Red is made with pureed wolfberries, also known as goji berries, along with blueberry, plum, cherry, aronia, and pomegranate juices. These are very high in antioxidants that boost immunity and protect your body against oxidative stress. It also has food-grade essential oils like orange and lemon, yuzu, and tangerine. These provide an incredible dose of D-limonene. Trust me, Google that. This is just a two-ounce shot of liquid gold, and it supports your body for better energy and healthy cellular function. Why is that? Well, that's because you're getting antioxidants equivalent to eating like eight pounds of carrots and 16 whole oranges. Trust me, your liver and your eyes will thank you. If you'd like more information, visit my website, www.amycastles.com. What was the first thing that your mom would ask you before you'd go to bed at night? Did you brush your teeth? I don't know about you, but my mom always asked that. Since I was a kid, healthy gums and teeth have always been important to me. But after a lot of research, I figured out that there's actually a lot of junk in the commercial toothpaste. Everything from SLS to artificial flavors and colors, sweeteners even. And I didn't like the way that they didn't actually get my teeth super clean. I felt like they weren't really actually supporting good overall oral health. Well, I'm so excited to tell you about a product that I created in 2016. Sparkle Dust is a non-toxic, chemical-free tooth cleansing powder that instantly brightens and strengthens and remineralizes your teeth and your gums. It will leave your teeth feeling like never before. They will feel cleaner, smoother, and brighter. You will feel like you just left the dentist. I love that feeling. Sparkle Dust is made from nine different organic earth-sourced ingredients, including minerals and clays. It's a natural solution proven to get you the smile that you've always dreamed of. Learn more about Sparkle Dust by visiting my website at www.mysparkledust.com. It's time for a healthy dose of According to the Castles, the show where we talk about marriage, family, faith, health, nutrition, fitness, and so much more. And now, please welcome your hosts, Amy and Trey Castles. Hey, everyone. It's Amy Castles. Trey is not here today. He's absente. Is that what we used to say in Spanish? Like, no presente? I don't remember. Special guest, (laughs) Michelle Rockney. Say hello. Hi, everybody. What we did say in Spanish, like, no presente, no no está aquí. Yeah, all the kids would say, no está aquí. So Trey is no está aquí. We have Michelle Rockney. (laughs) Michelle Rockney is a multi-certified permanent makeup artist and Pretty Rich Bosses coach. She is the owner and the founder of the Beauty Compound in Texas. And Michelle brings all of her extensive experience and expertise to the table, specializing in all things brows. She's a licensed esthetician, and she holds multiple certifications in microblading, combination brows, ombre brows, permanent eyeliner, lip blushing, tattoo removal. I didn't know you did that. 3D areola tattoo, uh, uh, scalp micropigmentation, stretch mark, scar camouflage, advanced paramedical tattoo. I mean, there the list goes on and on. You do so much. Her resilience through a very traumatic and abusive life is just nothing short of amazing and uh, inspiring. Her hard work and passion for her craft 
are such an inspiration to all of us. And her commitment to empowering others through her coaching and mentorship is a testament of her character and her desire to make a positive impact in the world. And she does a lot of that through music. Michelle is an artist. She's been singing since kindergarten. And uh, recently in 2016, she was saved and became a Christian and started writing faith-based music and um, just writing your praises. And it's beautiful. And I I love listening to your music. Um, So, But today, we're here to talk about her story because it's crazy yeah all right let's go jerry springer (laughs) okay where do i start (laughs) there's so much uh there's so much right so you you mentioned the the childhood the trauma all that stuff so i think um you know this more about me than most people do but yeah i had a pretty tough upbringing um was raised without religion really my mom was a jehovah's witness my dad was muslim not non-practicing muslim but both very hypocritical in their religious viewpoints because they neither one of them practiced what their their respective religions taught. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I always got this idea of like, hmm, okay, so they, they say one thing, but they do something else. And so it was very two-sided in my opinion as a child. Mm-hmm. And so, but I did have this like small inkling. I remember getting a book from my grandmother that was from the Jehovah's Witness Church, but not the whole book. The whole book is not what I cared about. It was this one picture right at the beginning of the book that was this beautiful watercolor of Jesus and a bunch of little kids around. And it was so colorful. And there was like this beautiful rainbow, you know, like the Noah's Ark rainbow. And it was just like this this visual of someone like a shepherd with his sheep. And I just remember being like, he looks so nice. Like, wow, this guy looks so nice. I wish he was my dad or I wish he was my parent. Mm-hmm. And closed the book and forgot about it. You know, over over time, lots of things happen, lots of trauma, um, child childhood sexual abuse and things like that. And obviously living with an addict kind of taints your viewpoint on God. Um, and so I became an atheist. And I was an atheist through, through my um, teen years, didn't believe in God. I was the one who would argue with you about why God was like, a product of the man trying to control mm-hmm. you and like how to keep people in line and it's just societal and it's just you know which but you, you what the funny thing is, is that you weren't wrong necessarily to say that you 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 said trying to control you but religion historically has done that right and so religion religion has controlled the masses i mean since the beginning of time Right. And so and so I took those little bits and pieces of, you know, formal religion, not mm-hmm. relationship, but religion mm-hmm. and use that against Christians or use that against anybody who would try to talk to me about religion. Right. Now, I was on the side seeking God. I was seeking something yeah. um, because I didn't know. I um I used to work for Steven Seagal and I would go and travel with him. Steven Seagal. The, the martial art yeah yeah, yeah. Oh. so I worked for Steven Seagal I um we he was filming some stuff in Vancouver Canada so I moved to Canada uh for a little while and then we would go we would travel so I went to Alaska uh, his home base was in California went to California New Orleans we just traveled a lot of different places wherever he was filming anyways he's Buddhist and so 
while I was there, I was kind of in that seeking phase. And so he changed my name. He called me Misha. That was my like Buddhist name. And we would, when we went to Seattle, when one day he wanted to meet the, um, the next in line to the Dalai Lama, which is, I believe it's called the Karmapa. And so went to go meet the Karmapa because he's, you know, he's like a celebrity in his, in his own right. And so they like had a table and he was able to ask questions and things like that. And so I was kind of believing all these things, but I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, who is this person? This is the next in line of the Dalai Lama. Not really knowing anything about Buddhism or like the background of of that religion, but seeking something. And Mm -hmm. so I remember, I have pictures of this actually. Um, And how old were you? Um, I would say I was. I don't know any know any of this. Yeah, there's a lot of well, there's a lot of things you know, and there's a lot of things you don't know. Well, let's uh, get to and it. And it almost feels like it's not real. A lot of my friends mm-hmm. that really like know all of the stuff. They're, they're just how have you lived so much in the time that you've only yeah. you're only forty, but like you've lived so much. So, anyways, uh, we're in Seattle, and um, he present Stephen presents me with these beads, and a candle like a lighting thing to light some candles to go and pray to some gods at this altar Mm. and i have pictures of myself literally lighting the the altar and like i didn't know what i was praying what i was saying i don't even remember saying anything in my head i just remember being like okay i know that they're taking pictures and i know that people are watching me so i need to do whatever i i saw everybody else do yeah so i started getting involved in other religions trying to find god and Mm -hmm. avoiding all things christianity because that was the the one that was false that was like absolutely the one that was the most distant so i i i I looked into buddhism i looked into judaism i looked into islam in fact my son zaid is named after a character in the quran uh zaid that's that's not Mm. a uh definitely wasn't the best decision but it's okay i love his name name. Yeah, yeah i love his name i've i've uh captured it back okay um, but, you know, I was just seeking and seeking and um, getting involved in other religions. And finally, it's funny how how God, God has a great sense of humor, right? He's the funniest. And so he knows that music is my love language. It's my way of communicating. It's my therapy. It's something that mm-hmm. I've used since I was a little girl to kind of quiet what was going on around me and just like listen to the to the music to the arrangements of the sounds and the lyrics of a song Mm -hmm. and so i could disconnect from everything else when i'm listening to music and at that time back in 2015 2016 i was a single mom i had zaid and i was taking care of my mom and i was a real estate agent and trying to really just find my my footing and finally, I decided, you know, I'm going to I'm going to try this permanent makeup thing because microblading had just kind of popped on the scene. I thought, what is this? You know, my mom had lost her eyebrows and she was dealing with thyroid cancer stuff. So we needed a solution. So I thought, OK, I'm going to invest my next closing check in this class for, for microblading. And um, it all makes sense here in a second. I know it's, no, it's making sound sense. like it, but I um, I invested in this class. And my mom was my model, so I was able to give her a really great set of brows. Well, not really that great because it was my first time, so actually kind of messed her up, but it's fine. <laughs> She's my mom. She didn't judge me. She thought they looked great. They probably metabolized out by now, I right? I fixed them. Yeah, over time we've done like eyeliner lips. We've done all the things. So she basically wakes up with makeup. So she's got the like 
she she got lucky <laughs> but in the beginning it was practice right mm-hmm. so um i decided okay i'm gonna do this as a side hustle i was living in the woodlands in creekside and i thought you know what the ladies here they can afford permanent makeup and it's something that they need right and so there's not many people doing it in the woodlands mm-hmm. let me go ahead and start this will be my side gig because i was still doing real estate and I was, I was making my way through real estate. I sold, you know, millions of dollars worth of homes, but it wasn't consistent. Yeah. And it takes a lot of sell, like a lot of grit and you have to sell and you have to hustle. And I had a little boy that I had to take with me everywhere and like to showings, to open houses. And I didn't have any support or any help from his father. I didn't have any support or any help from anybody in my family. I'm also taking care of my mother. So it's like trying to juggle all these things, right? And so I started... With microblading, I said, okay, I'm going to invest this. At that time, it was like $3,500. I'm going to invest that last closing check, put my my rent on the line here, pay for this class, and then hopefully it's going to pay off. And then I did the math, and I said, okay, if I can at least get 16 people in, I can recover what I invested and make a little profit, and then I can at least pay my rent and continue on, right? I still have mm-hmm. the supplies to be able to continue doing services. Well, Somebody, somehow I put, I posted it on next door and I call her like my, my brow fairy godmother because her name is Jerry, amazing retired lady in Creekside, the sweetest lady you'll ever meet in your life. Like, I wish you would adopt me. Like, please, Aww. can you be my grandmother? I mm-hmm. just, I need one. <laughs> so, and I'm up for adoption. Okay. So anyways, she was so, so sweet. At that time, I was mobile because I didn't have a place to, to, to bring people to. And I wasn't at the point in my career where I could afford to rent a space. So, um, And at that time, there weren't many laws around microblading because it was so new. Yeah. This is like 2015, 2016. It's very new. Nobody knows what it is. They're like, is this an eyebrow implant? What is this? You know. Mm-hmm. So I was operating mobily and I would take this like rolling drawer with me with all my supplies and I would take a massage bed and I would set up in their homes make sure everything was really sanitary and clean I do have a nursing school background so I was very aware of like how to proper Mm -hmm. protocols and sanitation and sterilization and those kinds of things so I was really careful and um, Jerry invited me over she saw my post on next door and um, she's like I want to get my brows done so I said okay I'll come over so I did her brows she asked me first is it okay if my girlfriends watch I have a couple of girlfriends that I golf with and they want to watch. They don't know what this is. I'm like, okay, no pressure. She's like my third person. I did a couple of friends for free and she was like my first paying customer. And so I um, went to her house and went to her bedroom, which is where we were going to do the service. That was like the most spacious place. And her two friends are sitting on the bed and they're just chatting it up about golf and their lives. And I'm just listening and I'm, I'm really nervous because it's, I have an audience now and this is like my third or fourth time doing this. Tattooing someone's face. Yes. And yes, exactly. And the lighting wasn't that good in her room. And so I didn't feel confident enough to be like, can we open the shades? It's so dark in here. I really can't see. And I didn't have a light that I brought with me because I just assumed everybody would have decent light and that was not smart. So anyways, um, I'm just there. And at the time, now now after seven years of doing permanent makeup, I can do microblading in like 45 minutes to an hour. Just to give you some perspective. Back then, it took me three to four hours. Oh, wow. So just mapping alone would take me about an hour and a half, which now takes me 15 minutes. 
So like over time, I've gotten better. But in the beginning, especially with just one training, you're not quick, you're not fast. So our, our total time together was about three, maybe four hours. And so during that time, because I was still new at everything, I played music from my phone. I just played like a spa music you know mm. have you ever been to a spa where they're like oh yeah and like the bells ringing and things like that very much i literally typed in pandora like spa spa music or spa mm-hmm. something and that's what came up so it was very i don't know it's very relaxing yeah. too relaxing to be working during that like for me personally so i um finished her service and her friend shannon was like, Michelle, so do you think you can do my brows now? And I go, in my head, I thought, okay, $300, yeah, that's going to be enough. I'm going to be start making my money back. You know, this is great. And then I thought, oh, gosh, it's another three or four hours that I'm going to be here. So what I did was I told, because she said she was flying out that evening because she wasn't from Texas. She was from, she was originally from Texas, but she was residing in Florida. So she was just there kind of killing time and she wanted to do her brows before she went back to Florida that night. So I had no options to say like, okay, tomorrow or yeah. like another day. I had to either do it that day or say no. And I wasn't going to say no because I needed that money yeah. desperately. And also I wanted to, to play with the Let's skin. Practice. I wanted to practice. So I decided, okay, so as I'm cleaning up, I, I told, I got her numbing, you know, got her setting up for, for her process and then... I said to her when she lay down, I was like, you know what, Shannon, I'm kind of tired of my spa music. Why don't you play something? You play something on your, on the Pandora, your choice. And normally when I am telling someone else to be the DJ, I will always add a caveat to it. I'll say, except for like country, because I'm not, I wasn't a big country fan back then. Some country is okay now, <laughs> but some of it I'm still like, okay, no. But there's also like heavy metal. I don't like heavy metal. I don't like lots of rock and roll kind of stuff. So I was yeah. kind of still telling them what I wanted to hear, but like not at the same time. So I usually have a little caveat there and I didn't say anything this time because I thought, okay, it's $300. Like I'm not going to say anything. I don't care what she plays. Right. As long as it's not going to put me to sleep. And she decided to play Christian music, which at that moment was exactly what I needed. However, my soul, my spirit was so full of like anger and resentment. Everything that's built up over my life was just there thinking, how dare she? How dare she assume that I would be okay with this music? It's nothing bad. It's like all motivational, inspirational music. But my spirit was so angry. I mean, I'm sure there was some demonic energy in there for sure. I know that for a fact because I prayed it away and it went away. And after I was really, truly saved, I, I didn't have those same feelings and experiences anymore. So it was like, ugh, I was sitting in my stool thinking, you know, still taking care of her and smiling and all that. But in my head, I was just, how dare she assume this? You know, I was so angry. How dare she? You know, I'm not a Christian. This is the worst choice that she could have ever made. You know, I'm sitting there just being angry. Mm-hmm. And um, but again, God's sense of humor is so great. And like you mentioned earlier, I've been singing since I was in kindergarten, before kindergarten. Like that's my that's my way of communication. I love to sing. It's my therapy. It's everything to me. And so God knew that if somebody had told me, Michelle, 
The music that you're listening to right now, it's not really that great. It's not a good example for your kids. It's not really that good, even though it's what's trending and what's mm-hmm. on the radio and with top 40s and all that stuff. I would have told them, like, get out of my face. Like, what do you, who are you to judge? You know, those things mm-hmm. that people say. And so God worked it the other way. He's like, okay, I'm going to force you to listen to, to uplifting music about me, glorifying me for three hours. And let's see how you feel about it. And so knowing that I love music and knowing that I have a passion for sound and song and lyrics, I just sat there and after I got over my initial like anger and frustration, started listening to the lyrics and the the sounds of the songs and the singers and their voices and okay, it's not too bad. (laughs) All right. I feel good. Okay. That one had a nice message. Cool. But I wasn't going to like resign myself to be, okay, I'm going to listen to this now forever. It was just, Okay. And then slowly I started taking mental notes of certain hooks that I really liked, right? So I'll remember a song by something catchy in the song and then I'll go and Google it and then I'll find the lyrics and then find the song, right? So I started hearing um, really old Lauren Daigle. Not not so much a fan of hers anymore because I feel like she's kind of gone the pop realm. But her first album was... Mm -hmm literally like I'm on my knees praying to you Jesus I love you you know like those kinds of things real Christian not beating around the bush in her lyrics and so I would listen to these songs at during that time and okay that one I need to go download that one okay I need to add that to my playlist and slowly my playlist in my head started growing and growing and then I just thought okay I can't keep track of all these songs that I really like I need to go and just search the internet for like playlists so I can see other options out there. Cause if this mm-hmm. is just three hours worth, I'm sure there's much more out there. Right. So I left that, that service after I did her brows, I left feeling so good. It's like he, he took me from such, such an angry place to feeling uplifted and motivated and optimistic and hopeful. Cause I didn't have hope back then. Right. I felt like, okay, I'm just, in a circle, in a cycle. It's just, I can't get out. All, all the cards are stacked against me, very much in that victim mentality too, which I think stems from not having a relationship with God, like a, a true relationship. Mm-hmm. So I got in my car, left the service. Everything went really well. I felt great. After I was leaving, I felt so light. I felt like something had been lifted off my shoulders. And I get in my car and I'll tell you, I know for a fact that it wasn't me that did this. I know it was supernatural. I know it was God. Because I don't ever turn my volume all the way to 100%, especially not in the woodlands, driving up to a client's house. Right. So my volume when I got in the car was at 100%. Interesting. And it connected directly to my phone, which happened to be playing a song called Anaconda. And it's like the (laughs) most vulgar song. (laughs) It's by Nicki Minaj. It's a terrible song. So I'm in her driveway and like without realizing it, my phone connected and the song is on 100%. It's like, my anaconda, don't. It's the worst thing ever because I had just felt (laughs) so. The most vulgar. It's the most vulgar. And it was like I had felt so uplifted and so positive and so peaceful. Yeah. And then I got into the car and God was like, this is what you used to like. Like this is what you, this is what you're listening to. This is what you're exposing your children to, your child to. So I only had one at that time, and so it shocked me to like seeing the difference, a real difference, not like a subtle. Oh, I'm just gonna listen to a little bit of this or that. You know, it was shocking 
I felt embarrassed. I felt um, <gasps> like I don't want those people to have that impression of me. I start. I almost felt like probably how Eve felt when she ate the fruit and was like, I'm naked. Yeah. You know, I felt like that for a second. Oh, wh- like, why did I do that? What, what's, why am I listening to this? So I turned it all the way down, went home, didn't think anything of it. was just like, okay, that's really weird how that just happened because I know for a fact I wasn't blasting it in the Creekside. I wasn't blasting Anaconda as I'm driving. It's just That's just not my style, you know? You didn't have the side lean on with the... With the <laughs> right, with my cup. 10-inch Rockford Fosgate speakers in the back and just... <laughs> no. <laughs> No. Yeah. So um, it was kind of this moment that happened that was very visual. I remembered that feeling and thinking like, why did it feel so bad? It never felt that way before. You know, my regular music choices. You had awareness. I think that's what it is. Sometimes if something's brought to our conscious mind and we, we know it now, you can't unknow it. Yeah. And then when you know something, but then you feel it, that is life. I mean, that's like, that's created life. You cannot, you, you might have been told about Christian music, but until you felt it, then that's when it really stuck. Yeah. So then you knew it and then you go into the car and it's like, it's, it's black and white, you know, it's, you know, the difference. It's so funny though, because God is so smart obviously and so funny because he said you know what you're gonna listen to this for three hours and i know you're gonna like it you're gonna love it you're gonna love it and i'm sure that the selections of songs were perfectly chosen for that moment most likely because it was everything that i ended up listening to later so i went home i'm still struggling with you know my mom at the time she's living with us with me and my son my uh zade and she's she's going through these like phases of overdose it's not a it's not like she's got the addiction under control she's still somehow managing to like break into safes that I have in my house that have where I have her medication so I've been giving my mom her meds for the past 11 years every morning and every evening and in the beginning she was on 30 plus medications now she takes about six so over the course of that time frame, I had to wean her off because she kept getting doctors who would just prescribe her and then up, raise the prescription. Not actually treating the root cause of what's wrong, which is mm-hmm. her traumatic childhood and her the abuse she suffered as a young girl, both physical, emotional, and sexual from her from the hands of her parents and um, and witnessing her father die. All of those things, right, were still there affecting her and in her her way of my way of coping was through music and through like working harder and her way of coping was through self-medication and Mm -hmm. so she was still doing that and now I'm trying to juggle okay I'm not an addict my son's not going to be raised this way I need to figure this out because she's now he's seeing addiction even though it's not through me yeah and so I would go home and 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 feel the, the weight of that every day and just be like okay I can't rely on her to babysit my child because I don't trust her where is she getting the medication from it's it's the it's almost one of the worst feelings because you have especially when it's your parent too you have no control it's like you're dealing with a teen a rebellious teenager 
And there's no resources. There's nothing that that I can do to help her. I really did try my very best. So I ended up basically researching in a lot of different groups about uh, withdrawal. And I started doing my own scientific research to see how can I properly withdraw her from benzodiazepines. Because she was on four Xanax a day. Four entire bars a day. Wow. So after the third one, she would forget and take three more. And then after that, she would just be in this like cycle. I mean, she's taken up to 16 or 17 at one point. So just imagine trying to fun- trying to talk to a person that's like in that mindset and then you're trying you you can't lock them in their in their room and you have to take care of this baby by yourself and you're trying to work and you're trying to cover the expenses. It was so much and I needed God at that moment. I cannot believe you did all that on your own. Well, I didn't. God was there. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, there's no way that I could have physically done it myself. I mean, <sighs> after a certain point, because I've been dealing with this since kindergarten, since my very first memories of my mother are her drunk, and back then it was just alcohol. And then as anxiety medication came on the market, like late 90s, then it became that. You know, they I remember mm-hmm. her coming home one day with the, the, the brown bag from this psychiatrist who had these samples of this new medication that was coming out. And it was Xanax and it was um, like a bipolar medicine. And so I just remember seeing the shift there and then it became hard drugs and then it went back to medication. So we've been just actively working towards helping her with her addiction. And at that point, I really was feeling really hopeless, like, okay, I've succumbed to this now and there's nothing I can do. This is my life now. Probably never have another. I'll never have a partner because who's going to accept this I have to shield my son from this as much as I possibly can. So I can't really be home. But then when I'm not home, she gets into trouble. So it's like, yeah, it's this horrible anxiety ridden life that you're living because you're also trying to just survive. Well, you're the you're the codependent. You're the you're the codependent. So she's the dependent on people think that codependent means that you're just attached to people. Oh, that's yeah. not what codependence <laughs> means. Codependence means that you are her mother was the person who is dependent upon a chemical and she is attached to her mother and taking care of her mother. So she is the codependent. Yeah. Kind of like co-owner. You have the owner and then you have the co-owner. She is the codependent person. Uh, but yeah, people think that it means that you're just like attached to other people and that you rely on other people. Not at all. No, no. It, it means that you are carrying the weight and um, the anxiety um, and the constant, um, the ups and downs. Like you're, you're, you're having to take care of the now, but also you're anticipating what's happening in the future. But here, the miraculous thing is that you don't seem like a codependent to me. Like, <laughs> like you don't have the. It doesn't from from outside looking in. It doesn't seem like you have the codependent behaviors. Meaning that most people who would grow up in your position would be so high stress and so high strung um, because they would feel that they need to do everything for everyone to make and that they have to keep everyone happy. Do you do that? Because it doesn't seem like you have those types of behaviors. I think before I used to do that, when it was just me and and Zaid and Mm -hmm. my mom, but also I've been dealing with it. It's it's basically everything I've ever known since I was in kindergarten because when she was doing her thing, like getting drunk 
Imagine being literally five years old, walking in the door from playing outside and seeing your mom with mascara running down her face. And she's just crying about, you know, whatever happened to her in her childhood, which you're too young to even fathom and understand what that means. So heavy. And she's just crying. And then she she passes out. And you have to drag her, help drag her to her bed and put her to bed and then wake yourself up in the morning Get your brother to help you fix breakfast so that you could eat breakfast so that you could walk yourself to the bus stop to then get on the bus so you don't miss school because school is like that's that's peace. That's calmness. Yeah. That's a safe place. You know, I want to be at school. Yeah. I don't want to be with this crazy person. That's why, you know, we homeschooled for so many years, but a lot of people would say everyone should homeschool. Um, not necessarily. No, because for many, many kids, many kids. That is their only safe escape. Oh, yeah. And it is the only way that another adult can look out for that kid or make sure that they eat. Yeah, food, eating, eating properly. That was probably the only time you had some sort of well-rounded meal somewhat. Yeah, she she tried here and there when she got into a mood. And I'm not going to say that my mom was the worst human being ever. She really tried her very best with the skills that she was taught. Yep. So she did what she could with what she had. So you you can't I don't want that's this is the kind of the conversation that I have with my husband too because he doesn't it's so hard to wrap his head around because his mom's the exact opposite. She is she'll cook you six different options when you come over as a guest. Do you want chicken, fish, steak, kebab? Do you want some, I don't know, vegan? Uh, it's all organic. It's all handpicked from the garden. You know, it's... Why haven't I been invited over? <laughs> I'm just saying. Listen. You know that's my jam. Like, <laughs> I know. Y'all would get along so well. I know. She is great. She's great. She's like the epitome of what a mom should be. And so for him to see the exact opposite of that, because remember, him and I have been friends since 2001. So he's seen... The demise of Jeanette. She's he's seen her mm-hmm. knock on my door when him and I were like in my room and doing not so great things like you know smoking, let's say like a little bit of pot here and there, right? And I don't know if I could even say that on here, but of course, you know we're teenagers, right? So we're like trying to hide it from my mom, and she goes knocking on the door, going, "Hey, can I have some?" You know, it's not <laughs> normal, not normal behavior. Yeah. And so he's seen that, and it was a trip for him. He was yeah. just like. Did well, you? it's probably made him, I'm sure it's made him angry in some ways. Bitter, resentful. Yeah. He does not like my mom. And it's totally understandable. And I don't want him to like her. I don't expect him to. Because yeah. it's hard for me to like her. Let's be honest here. I have, I deal with my own resentment. And f- the feeling of, going, of saying to myself, God, I've been doing this for 35 years. Like, when do I get a break from this person? At what point can I just live my life? There were some times in there where I was able to because she was getting married to this guy or, you know, living with so-and-so mm-hmm. and, like, living on her own and doing fine. Like, and then, please work out. Please work out. And it never did because she didn't figure out the root cause. And, of course, who else is going to be able to deal with someone taking 16 Xanax bars? Like, nobody else, unless they really love you, meaning a child or a parent, would really be okay with that. They'll kick you to the curb. And so that's what would happen. And it got to a point where I was seven months pregnant with Zaid. And I get a call from Memorial Hermann Hospital saying, your mom's been life-flighted here to Memorial Hermann. She's fallen. She's hit her head. And she's got bleeding in her brain. And if you don't take her from where she's living, she's going to die. So what do you do? I'm seven months pregnant. 
um, big belly, trying to, to move forward to go to nursing school. I'm like, try, I have these big goals to get out of this vicious cycle. And then I get thrown her on me again. And it's like, okay, we'll do what we can. You know, she was even admitted to a psych ward during the time where I was supposed to give birth. I had to pull her out the night before I was going to be induced to come and be present. I'm just amazed at how much you've accomplished in your life based <laughs> on all that you have been through. It's I where do you get this spirit from? I mean, God. That's it. That's the only explanation that I have. And even because even before you were a believer, even before you were a believer, you can look back on your life and see that you were saved so in so many situations. Yeah, no. Because you told me if you can can you talk about it on here? Yeah. Which, can you which ones? <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> Tell me about the time the meth house. Oh, oh, okay. Yes. So, uh. so I did uh, dabble with drugs, right? So obviously, when you have an addict as a parent, not obviously, because it's not obvious, but in some, in some cases. In many cases, yeah. In many cases, you have an addict parent, you go one of two ways. You completely repel against drugs and alcohol, and you mm -hmm. just like have this weird relationship with even drinking. Like one of my aunts is, does not drink, does not take a sip of wine because, you know, my grandma was an addict too. Mm -hmm. So she went the other way. And then my mom and her sister were major addicts. They coped with it by following the same footsteps. Yeah, everybody's going to deal with their trauma. Yeah, you have in to. In some way. Right. And even the people who don't turn to drugs and alcohol, a lot of them grow up and then they're very strong codependent type people yeah and, and marry someone and then or they'll, they'll marry someone and then they'll create that trauma will create all over in their life so at some point or they'll their body will manifest into having a disease yeah. or some sort of um serious health issue or they maybe have an addiction to sex or porn or uh, over exercise eating disorder mm -hmm. um isolation so something it's going to come out your trauma is gonna come out in some sort of way. Yeah. You okay. Sorry. Continue. So you have to get it taken care of. You mm -hmm. have to go to therapy. I don't mean psychiatrist. I mean psychologist. Someone who specializes in this. And I, I did. I tried. But every time I would go into someone's therapy at school, especially when I would get like, because you would get free therapy if you went to U of H, for example, or mm -hmm. HCC or UT even which I went to all of those schools, I remember being there and them going, hey, this is kind of outside of our scope. We need to refer you to someone else. <laughs> you you two yeah. messed up. <laughs> uh, like, and so imagine how that feels. You yeah. don't want to share it again with someone to tell you the same thing again. You're just like, okay, I'm just going to deal with this myself. Yeah. Or I have to pay out of pocket for someone who's got a PhD in this or, you know, someone who's... And unless you've healed from it, you're going to relive it every time you share the story. If you have not dealt with this trauma and had peace with it, you would not be able to share on the podcast today yeah. because it would hurt too much. Yeah. It's almost like sharing another person's life at this point, right? Yeah. It feels... It's very cathartic when I talk about it. It, it because I do know that hearing other people's stories would would inspire me to to know that there's hope. And so when I speak about what's happened to me, I'm I'm thinking about the person on the other side going, "Wow, I'm dealing with something similar. 
in any part of my story and the outcome can be positive the outcome mm-hmm. can be good so it does still kind of hurt you know to talk about certain things when it comes to my children or like what they saw what they what I try to shield them from because it is painful but I I'm not it's not my identity like it used to be yeah that was my identity it's like you this victim of all these things that were thrown my way mm-hmm. So, yeah, I did dabble into drugs, right? Like I said, I was smoking a little weed after I graduated high school um, and then started working in the bar industry and um, bartending and bar managing, which I had no business doing at 18, but I got a job. I I can manage. I can I can deal with stuff. I'm very, like, gritty and resilient and, like, mm-hmm. you know, can talk my way into things. And But I, I also follow through. I'm not just, a, like, a BSer. I will, if I say, hey, I'll manage this bar. I'm going to bring money. I will do that and actually follow through with it. So I, I created this environment where this bar that was falling apart hired me. I got a bunch of my girlfriends to wear cute little shirts and walk downtown and give away free drink tickets. And so like the bar went from nobody, maybe seven, eight people at a Saturday night to like 700 people rotating <sighs> in and out. And so everybody was, I was like on this high of going, wow, I've, you know, I'm somebody, you know, mm-hmm. I'm getting this recognition. Boys are looking at me and things are happening. And so in that, in that industry, you get, you get exposed to drugs, right? I, I remember the first time I got tipped with cocaine and me going, ugh, that's so low class. How people who do that, ugh, you know, mm-hmm. I was so beyond that and above that. And um, we hired this bartender. Her name is Lisa. And she was a, a really pivotal person in, in this in this time of my life because she was also half Persian and half Costa Rican. And oh no, mm-hmm. she was half Spanish. And I'm half Persian, half Costa Rican. So I immediately bonded with her. Like, we're both Persian sisters and we're both mixed, like Spanish and Middle Eastern. And she was about six or seven years older than me. So I really looked up to her. And she was a pro bartender. I mean, like, competitive style bartending. Wow. And at that time, that's something I wanted to learn. So her and I, I'd have the keys because I was the manager of this bar. Her and I would go in there. She would teach me all of her methods of, like, pot pouring and, like, speed bartending. So I became this amazing bartender and I would get tipped with these drugs. And one day I was in the bathroom. Uh, There's a long line to go in the bathroom, but because we're bartenders, we can cut the line. So, and I see Lisa right behind him. Come in, come in with me. So we went into the bathroom and I was like, look what somebody tipped me. Isn't this crazy? And she goes, let's try it. And I'm like, have you ever tried it before? She's like, no, but I'll try it with you. Little did I know that was a blatant lie. She had already been in rehab a couple of times for meth use. Oh, geez. But she told me it was her first time, so I felt more comfortable. Yeah. And so we did it together in that bathroom, and that was the start of, like, turning on the switch on my brain. I instantly became addicted. It was like there was no question that that was my drug of choice. It became Cocaine? Cocaine was my drug of choice for a very long time. So I would do that. My brain works phenomenal right now. This is great. Of course she was speed bartending. (laughs) Makes sense. Literally. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It was was a high-paced environment, really great music because I had control over the DJ. It was like I was in a a house party every weekend, and then I would get them to open on Thursdays, and let's open on Sundays, and let's open on Mondays too, and let's just open every night because every night I would do cocaine. And so, and drink, right? Because it's like that that balance. I would drink and then in order to not be drunk, I would take some some cocaine and then it would just like balance itself out. 
before I knew it, I was addicted, but I was still functioning and I wasn't, I was really good with like my numbers. So mathematically, like you couldn't, you couldn't, I knew how my bar, my uh, drawer was always perfect, like even. So I never, nobody ever really noticed. Mm -hmm. It was just like a thing. Okay. Once you start getting sloppy, that's when people really go, okay, she's on something. We need to, to fire her or fix it. Yeah. So to condense the story a little bit, because it's a long one, I, her and I, we weren't getting paid the proper way, like on the nights that we were supposed to be working other days. So we decided we were going to leave to go somewhere else. And we, um, we moved to, we went to another place. I went to one bar and became like a cocktail waitress, VIP cocktail waitress, like selling bottle service and stuff. And then she went to another bar to become a manager because she had experience at Dave and Buster's managing for many years. Hence why she was so good at all bartending stuff. Cause they're very specific as to like the weights of the bottles get measured before and after the shift. And you have to be exact on your pour. So mm. like she knew how to pop pour, like to stop the the flow and stuff like that. So she went across the street. I was over here. And then um, I remember one day our my I wanted to move out and she was going to, her lease was up too. So we decided to move in together. And um, I remember her inviting me over one day with her boy, her ex-boyfriend and her best friend, these two guys, right? And they have a bag and a little pipe. And they're like, hey, we should try this together. We should try this together, right? We're moving. We're, we're about to pack up the house and get everything moved, right? So we should try this. And so I'm thinking it's our first time, all of our first times. They had all had like years with meth before. So they were just pretending like it was their first time. So I did it. And then that's like a hundred times not better but like stronger than mm -hmm. cocaine. You don't have to do as much and you don't you don't require as much throughout the the time that you're doing it because it's like one little you could call it a hit for example and you're like on for I don't know 12 or 15 hours maybe more and it's cheaper. That's why people like it. It's too, cheaper. Right? Um it's just it, it's just there's so many it's I call it the devil's drug all the drugs are the devil's drugs but that is the devil's drug yeah. because you actually feel like you are superhuman mm -hmm. you feel like you could do anything and like you're the smartest person in the world you're the strongest person in the world most beautiful person in the world it just it Invincible. brings out like yes and that's why sometimes when people are get arrested and they're like so strong you something happens i'm sure chemically that just makes you not feel certain things you don't feel pain that's why people they like have all the, the scars on their face from picking they don't feel that there's they're causing those injuries to their face so mm -hmm. it was very easy for me to go from that to that to, to meth you know with, with a friend with a trusted friend like a sister figure mm -hmm. um and so we started doing that and the great thing about it again is like god was always there even though i didn't particularly call on him or believe in him i know he was there because there were so many instances where i should either be dead or arrested or so many my life trajectory could be so different and so the story that you're referring to is one day her and I decided, well, we're obviously getting it from someone, right? So this guy was like the middleman between the big guy, which was his actual, what they called him and what you have him down on your phone as, because we didn't know his name. It was just called the big guy. And so he's having this birthday party. He's the, the, the kingpin of everybody in, you know, the greater Houston area. 
And so um, our middleman friend invited us to this birthday party. You should come. There's going to be everything that you want. Like all the cool people are there, supposedly. (laughs) And uh, it's going to be great. You have access to whatever you want. Take as much as you want. So we're like, okay, cool. We'll go. So her and I go. And it's a gated community, kind of close to Sugarlandish area. And, um, you know, we're, I drive in. There's all these cars in the driveway. And, of course, I'm really late because we're always late to everything. So we go in there, and there's just all kinds of stuff happening. There's, like, guns everywhere. There's mountains of drugs on ta- on the tables everywhere. This is, like, a, a suburban neighborhood. This, this is, like, you would never guess. There's probably kids next door playing in the pool and jumping on the trampoline. A really nice neighborhood. Yeah. Really nice neighborhood. Like, I would want to live there. It makes sense why if you're in your house and you're like, neighbors are doing something sketchy, you've seen all these sketchy people walking in and you're like, they're like, I'm imagining like looking through the blinds, like, what are they doing over there? Because in my neighborhood in spring, there were a few drug houses and that's exactly how they got caught because they were having all these people coming in and out and you're like, something is up. Like, these people are not over to play bingo. By the way, the house that I lived in was a former drug house where we lived in Where spring. I met you in spring. That house was, oh, when I funny. went in there, it was like all the ACs had been rerouted because they were growing marijuana. So it had to be a humid environment. So we had to do the whole AC. And there was actually still plants left in the house when we when we acquired it. There was pots and plants and stuff, but the DEA had come and like raided that house. And I remember because supposedly a cop lived across the way and he was like, I know something's going on there. I think I remember hearing this. Yeah. And then that's when you moved in. Okay. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Because we moved in that neighborhood in 2006. We moved in that into Northgate in 2006. And I remember somewhere between that time and the time that you moved in, there was a drug house. That was my house. (laughs) That is so funny, man. I I would not want to live in a drug house because I I, I cannot stand the way that humid it feels when it's humid inside a house. And then your mold, they probably had mold in there too. Didn't have mold, but luckily Zaid's dad did owns businesses that are all about construction and home renovation. So he went in there and fixed it before. Before we had to like move oh, perfect. in, perfect. Yeah, okay, and the good. whole point of it was to flip the house. Oh, so we okay. got it on foreclosure or like not foreclosure, but like a drug house basically auction. And so we got it that way for a really good price. And then we were going to fix it up and flip it. Oh, nice. And so it didn't really matter as much. But I did fall in love with that house. It was so big. It was like 4,700 square feet. It was the hugest room. I didn't have to encounter my mom ever because she was like in the other wing. (laughs) (laughs) So it was great. But Okay, um, so back to your meth house. So yeah, we go in there. There's guns everywhere. There's drugs everywhere. Ecstasy piles of it. You know, acid cocaine everywhere all kinds of drugs this is how it's done okay okay all kinds of stuff there and her and i and there's like strippers there lots of strippers right because he his girlfriend was a stripper the main guy and so all her friends were there and so we felt really out of place more so because of that i would say like it didn't really bother me that there was drugs on the table it was more so like a, that there were lots of guns around. I didn't feel comfortable with that. And also people doing drugs and guns didn't seem like they mixed together. Right. But then also the fact that there was like girls that were getting topless and doing all kinds of crazy things and jumping into his pool and being like, come on, let's get in the pool. And we we're just like, we didn't bring swimsuits. Like, calm down. And yeah. I'm not going to be around all these people. I felt like a little bit above them. 
You know, I felt mm-hmm. I felt when I walked in like, who are these people? You know, <laughs> which is so funny because I'm still there. You know, I'm there participating and like no better than any of them, you know. Mm-hmm. And so her and I grab up a couple of things, you know, m- meth I would if I recall correctly, it was just probably just some meth or maybe even some ecstasy. I don't know. We just took it because we're like, okay, we can probably sell this later because we were going to go out. And also we're in that industry. So when you get tipped with something, if you don't want to do it, you just sell it to someone else and keep the money. Right. Right. So of course that's sometimes what I, what we would do. And, um, one day or that day, sorry, we decide, okay, this is too much. We're going to leave. Like, we were there maybe 25, 30 minutes. I would say it felt like 25 or 30 minutes. I don't know exactly how long we were there, but it didn't feel like very long before we just started kind of like, let's just like casually step out and leave. So as we're leaving, we're driving away. We see a bunch of black suburban cars coming our direction. Right? It's a gated community. So we know they had to go through the gate and they're going in the direction of the house. So I'm like the heck is that that's that's weird and so we're just like let's just get out open the gate open the gate because we felt like something was off we got out we started getting a phone call from that guy our friend the middleman basically and he's like hey i'm coming over to your house i'm behind you we didn't realize that he had followed us so he got out luckily Mm. when we did well the DEA or FBI or whoever does the busts on the drug raids and stuff literally showed up at their house as we were leaving. So had we stayed there five minutes longer, we would have been arrested. Guns in your face. You're now responsible for everything that's in that house because no one's going to say it's mine. So everyone goes down if no one takes takes the, the blame for it. And... um the amount of stuff that was in there was all like major felonies. It wasn't little criminal misdemeanors, like possession. It was it was guns that aren't even allowed on the market. And money and lots of money in the whole house, right? Jeez. So we we are now we're we're tweaking, right? We're like, this is scary. They're gonna find us. They've they've been watching this house. It's not just like overnight that they just pop in or casually find this house they must have been watching they know my car now mind you when you're on drugs you're also like tail spinning you're going they're gonna find me they they're tracking me they put a device on the car you know you're kind of unrealistic i guess and so and he was also following us so we thought if they're following him now they followed us well he's he took a bunch of stuff with him and took it And when he got to our house, we thought it would make sense to let him in. So we let him in. And when we got, when he got in, all of a sudden he starts getting phone calls from whoever's arresting or like officers saying, you need to come back because we know who you are and you're going to go to jail. We're going to find you. So he starts panicking. Now he doesn't want to leave the house. So we're stuck now, like aiding and abetting also criminals ourselves because I guess you could consider that you know we had some drugs on us also but not to that level and this guy is not at our house so when they come looking for him they're going to come to our house so we're trying everything we possibly can to get him out and he's not leaving so I don't know how many days pass I feel like at a minimum it was three days that he was just basically holding us hostage in our own home and the more he would 
do drugs, the more psychotic that he would get and the more paranoid he would get. Because that's one thing about um, meth is that you get very, very paranoid. You think Mm -hmm. everyone's after you. You think like, oh, no, they're right there. I saw them. Like, no, they're coming. It's very over the top with your how it affects your mm-hmm. brain. And he was trying to like assault my friend. So we had to come up with this elaborate story that she had an STD and like, no, you don't want to get it. Like we both have it, you know, <laughs> we're trying to come up with what we can yeah. because he was going to rape her. It was very, it oh was, it was horrible. It was horrible. It was so scary. Finally, we convince him to turn himself in and he leaves and shortly thereafter, I decided I am never doing these drugs again. That's it. It's over. I'm not going to go down this path. It was so quick. It was like within a, a month or two, all of this happened. And there was so much more in between, too. There was other kind of crazy little stories here and there, you know, getting into fights with other like meth heads, I guess you could say. There was a lot of little things here and there, places I should have never been. Um, but this was like normal for her. This was something she had been living out for many years and yeah. was just disguising it. And so I know God's hand was there. I know God pulled me out of there right at that moment. And I know that as crazy as it sounds, and sometimes people ask like, oh, you don't feel embarrassed to share that you did that? I'm like, no, that's that's the truth. That is the truth. That's the story. That's a true story. Why would I be embarrassed? Like, look at how how everything has shifted 180 that should be the testimony right there like i love how you can share these stories there's a lot of stories that i could share but my mom listens (laughs) and she's probably listening now sorry mom. hey mom sorry your mom is not listening to you she's she if she did she wouldn't she wouldn't judge it either she knows that it's like you know i actually did an instagram post with video of her on the ground completely overdosed and I because I was sharing why I cut all my hair off because at one point I I start I was having like a bit of a mental breakdown like a Britney Spears moment you know I understand why she shaved her head Mm -hmm. I understand why people go kind of crazy because it's hard um not being wealthy like her I mean I feel like I would probably do some I'd choose something else but like being not wealthy struggling she was also postpartum too Britney Spears was postpartum too which was is is enough to make your hormones go absolutely crazy yeah I was also yeah so you know I posted this video on Instagram on my Instagram page with me cutting all my hair off because I videotaped myself cutting it all short really short in fact at one point I had like hair like very very short Mm -hmm. um and so I just remember you know seeing the feedback on that video because people will tell you, like, oh, you shouldn't post that. And I asked my mom, Mom, I'm going to post this video of you. It doesn't paint you in a really pretty picture. Are you okay with that? I think it could help someone. And she was like, sure, it's fine. Yeah. She doesn't want to look at it. But she, what can she say? Like, this is, this is what you've done, you know? Like, at least, at least let me share yeah. my story. You know what I mean? So she's she's understanding and she really she really is trying to fix herself. Now we've got it under control where she hasn't overdosed in a long time. However, the effects of all of the overdoses and the falls and the hits on the head and all that have kind of thrown her into early onset dementia. Yeah. So now we're dealing with this person who can't remember all the time and um, is frustrating because the, people who have dementia don't tend to be really nice and loving all the time. So it's hard because I'll tell her, 
I didn't recognize it at first and I thought she was just forgetting or something yeah and so I would be like no I'm same with Trey's dad yeah and so it got we'd be just like butted heads a lot and now when she tells me something random oh yeah it's probably on your bed you should go look you know she asked me the lady if the lady's in her room or something I'm like yeah she was here earlier it's fine you just go with what they say yeah you play along with it play Uh along and yeah yeah sure exactly okay yeah okay tomorrow then you know whatever it is it helps them in that moment yeah you can't fight with them fighting with them is going to put them in a a state of panic and anxiety and yeah, it definitely didn't help. Now I'm just like, oh, yeah, she was here earlier, but she's gone now. What did you need? I can tell her. You well, know? I just, listening to your story, knowing what you've accomplished in your adult life, it is very apparent that you were a strong-willed child from the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> you were a strong-willed child, and if you want something, you go get it. Um, it is 100% just apparent that you had God watching out for you. He was sending his angels to protect you um, at all times. Um, I just, it's inspiring to see how you've been able to overcome this. Um, What would you, okay, we had, we had Garen Jones on here and actually his podcast was released today. He had a very traumatic childhood as well. He grew up in Houston area. Um, he said, or he, one of the big things that he talks about is his inner child and talking about how we all have that inner child within us. And it's very easy when you have a childhood that was very traumatic, that you forget to be a kid again. And you've had, you now have your own children and you've had to give them a childhood that you're, it's like, you're seeing things through their eyes through for the first time that you never got to experience. Wouldn't you say that's true? Like they're experiencing things that you did not have the opportunity to experience. If you were not healed, you would not be able to play with your children. Yeah. Because you forgot what it was like to be a kid. That's why it's important for us as adults to play with kids. It keeps us young. It's important for grandkids to play with the grandparents. Because it keeps the grandparents young, not just physically, but also also mentally and emotionally. You see a child watching a Ferris wheel for the first time, and they're just like in awe mm-hmm. of it and smiling ear to ear, and you just see their whole spirit just light up. As a parent, you smile too. It yeah. makes you happy. But you wouldn't necessarily get that if you were still stuck in your childhood trauma. Does that make sense? Yeah, you absolutely have to heal from things. It took a lot of work. You know, I I did try to go to therapy every opportunity I could, especially mm-hmm. when I was in college because I could take advantage of it being free. I knew that I was going to need like three sessions a week maybe. So I tried my very best to 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 take advantage of what was resources I had, but it did take a lot of work. And also divine intervention, right? Yeah. So God was always there since I was little and um Again, I'm not going to say my mom was the absolute worst mom. She taught me good good things, even by way of her being an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. I think the reason why I am the not, way I She am. was not evil Yeah, she all. was not evil. She, she She's was a doing, good person. She was doing the best that she could. Yes. But I think there's something to be said about – and actually, I'm doing a, a speech on this in um, Atlanta for a group of – 
artists like me, the permanent makeup artists, and we're going to talk about resilience and grit. And there are, there's some genetic factors to it too. Because if you think about it, generational trauma or trauma itself causes you almost to be in like a state of fight or flight your every day. Yeah. So like you're constantly hypervigilant. You're thinking, okay, what's the worst that could happen in this situation? So you're planning and mapping out. Some people are oblivious to it. But I think that the reason why I am the way I am now is because of all those things. So although it really sucked to be a child and have to deal with it, and I felt sorry for myself a lot of the time and probably got bullied because of it and all of that, didn't have that confidence. Now I have everything that I was lacking as a child because of all of that that I went through. Mm-hmm. So it's like I needed that to happen in order to be who I am now. Because I don't think I'd be the same person if I had had right. a regular childhood, two parents at home, everything is like hunky-dory. I don't think I'd be where I'm at now. It would be different. So I'm grateful to her yeah. for everything that's happened because it's taught me so many valuable lessons. Plus, I've just saved the next generation. Because if if I wasn't strong enough to handle it, then I would have maybe turned out like a, like a now to this day, a drug addict with children and setting that example for them. And then they would just continue on the generational curse. So I needed to be the one to stop it. And like God said, no, we're breaking this curse. And he used me because he, he knew I would be strong enough to handle it. Yeah. And he turned everything that was meant for evil and bad into good. Yeah. So, and to use it as a testimony to share with other people. Yeah, I, I was listening to a psychi- psychologist the other day, and they were talking about, they were saying, you don't have to claim your story as it's what's made you stronger, so it's okay. Because people will say, they'll, they'll, they'll almost discredit someone's trauma that they had as a child and say, yeah, but it's made you stronger. And it was almost like, where am I going with this? It's a, there's a, another way that you can put it. You can say, yes, I had my trauma, but God takes everything that is evil and makes it for good. So you, it, it makes it more, almost more empowering in that way and gives you the opportunity to kind of pass on that goodness to other people, whatever it is that you, that you learn, you can touch other people's lives through the things that you learn. Um, what would you say to someone who is in a business or starting their business and they just keep failing and they did have a, a hard upbringing? What was, what would be, and, and they come to you and they say, Michelle, I know I have talent. I am smart enough. I have the resources, but for some reason I just keep failing in my business. And I, yeah, I had a really rough upbringing. Yeah, I actually encounter that more often than not because I do business coaching. Mm-hmm. And I see the patterns of people who have, I mean, I can almost tell you who's had a, a tough childhood just by the actions. By their and, patterns. By the patterns. So what's the pattern? Well, I mean, there's a lot of self-sabotage. There's a lot of self-sabotage there. There's a lot of um, excuse making, blaming mm-hmm. others. So there's just a lot of different things that you'll you'll notice with people, but I think the 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 one that stands out the most is when I see people self sabotage, um, because I know that feeling. I know that I I used to do the same thing. I had to pull myself out of that and go, okay, I'm not a victim. 
everything so yeah, it's a victim everything is not you know everyone else's fault like no i didn't do the thing i needed to do because i didn't wake up early enough because i didn't set my alarm because i was trying to self-sabotage so then i could have an excuse oh i just didn't do it because of whatever reason because of the stressful argument i had with my husband last night well no you could have still set your alarm you could have still made it a new day and done what you needed to do so I would tell anybody who's having a stressful, like let's say struggling and failing, it's not, the fall is not the problem. Fall as many times as you need to fall. It's how you pick yourself up, how you dust your, your bootstraps, whatever the saying is, right? I love to talk in analogies, even though I only know half the analogy, just fine. <laughs> so piece it together, people. <laughs> you just like dust yourself off, get up and, and move forward. And um, you have to, you have to, to remember that you're resilient and that you're strong and that you can do it no matter if if and nobody in your life's ever told you that you don't need anybody else to validate that you just need to know that within yourself so look within figure out the patterns in your own life that you continue to do mm-hmm. that self-sabotage whatever dreams and goals you have and change it start with small changes and then eventually you'll start to see oh okay i've built up these these little micro habits that really impact my day to day and then you'll start to see that okay the falls aren't that hard anymore they're not that they're not they don't sting as bad mm-hmm. like it's way more easy to deal with and how do you turn that into it's not a negative thing it's an opportunity what is the positive in this cuz we we tend to focus on the negative what is the positive from that fall and taking responsibility even when nobody is around yeah because if you don't have anyone to blame but yourself and if you take a moment to stop and 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 if you blame it on somebody else or blame it on a situation it puts you back in the victim mode you have to decide i'm not a victim anymore yep i am creating my life based on my actions. My actions are determining the outcome of my day. Mm -hmm. And if I don't like the outcome of the day, I need to stop and look at the actions that I've done Mm -hmm. and learn from them. Otherwise, God has a way of keep bringing those same challenges to your life or maybe maybe that may be biblical that may not be biblical i don't know but it just it maybe life has a way of bringing you the same situations over and over until you learn your lesson yeah that you've got to take accountability and i think that was the biggest issue with a common friend that you and i have that we both tried to mentor that um she would blame everyone else for her own actions it was never her fault and so she continued to repeat them and destruction and pain and suffering all came back into her life over and over and over again yeah and it will continue to unless you you get to the root cause right the root of the problem yeah. and again that's going to take help you you can't do it on your own especially if you're talking about drugs abuse all these kinds of really big things you're going to find a negative way to cope with it because you haven't been taught tools to cope properly i mean who what class is that what class is the uh, coping mm-hmm. class right so hopefully 
all of your listeners, I know we're probably running out of time or past the time. Yes, we are past the time. <laughs> so um, yeah, I hope that all of your listeners or anybody who's dealing with, you know, maybe a child who's a drug addict or a parent or struggling with drug addiction themselves or, you know, because it's so easy. It's so easy to to have a little too much wine or have a little bit too too many pain pills or whatever it is, right? Just know that there is hope for you. You just have to be willing to to do that self-reflection and go, okay, it's time for me to change and I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being on the hamster wheel. I'm ready to get off. And then also pray, ask God to help you. He will, he will be there for you. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt, supernaturally be there. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your story and inspiring us. It is mm-hmm. it is so inspiring to Thank see you. all that you do. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. And by the way, my lips look phenomenal if you're <laughs> watching this on YouTube. I just got my lips tattooed yesterday. So they're they're looking a little just big. A little bit swollen. They're they're a little swollen. There was way swollen yesterday. Yeah. But um they the color will fade a little bit. So but right now they're pretty dark, um, bright. But I yeah. love having my lips tattooed. I love having my eyebrows tattooed. I look back at pictures and I'm like, I literally had no eyebrows because I'm so blonde. There was absolutely none. How did I go so many years? And then when I tried to do it myself, I just looked like the Loch Ness Monster, like because I was trying to do it. It did not work. I, no, it was not good. So thank you, Michelle. You're so welcome. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. And y'all have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of According to the Castles with Amy and Trey. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. To stay up to date with the castles, follow Amy on Instagram at acastles. Until next time, have faith, enjoy life, and love abundantly. There are so many supplements out there. How do you choose? If there was just one supplement that Trey and I would recommend, it's definitely Ningxia Red. We have consistently drank Ningxia every day since May of 2015. It's a whole body health and wellness supplement that's a powerhouse full of antioxidants and nutrition. Ningxia Red is made with pureed wolfberries, also known as goji berries, along with blueberry, plum, cherry, aronia, and pomegranate juices. These are very high in antioxidants that boost immunity and protect your body against oxidative stress. It also has food-grade essential oils like orange and lemon, yuzu, and tangerine. These provide an incredible dose of D-limonene. Trust me, Google that. This is just a two-ounce shot of liquid gold, and it supports your body for better energy and healthy cellular function. Why is that? Well, that's because you're getting antioxidants equivalent to eating like eight pounds of carrots and 16 whole oranges. Trust me, your liver and your eyes will thank you. If you'd like more information, visit my website, www.amycastles.com. What was the first thing that your mom would ask you before you'd go to bed at night? Did you brush your teeth? I don't know about you, but my mom always asked that. Since I was a kid, healthy gums and teeth have always been important to me. But after a lot of research, I figured out that there's actually a lot of junk in the commercial toothpaste. Everything from SLS to artificial flavors and colors, sweeteners even. And I didn't like the way that they didn't actually get my teeth super clean. I felt like they weren't really actually 
supporting good overall oral health. Well, I'm so excited to tell you about a product that I created in 2016. Sparkle Dust is a non-toxic, chemical-free tooth cleansing powder that instantly brightens and strengthens and remineralizes your teeth and your gums. It will leave your teeth feeling like never before. They will feel cleaner, smoother, and brighter. You will feel like you just left the dentist. I love that feeling. Sparkle Dust is made from nine different organic earth-sourced ingredients, including minerals and clays. It's a natural solution proven to get you the smile that you've always dreamed of. Learn more about Sparkle Dust by visiting my website at www.mysparkledust.com.